And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course, as we get into another week here in August, heading into, of course, September, October. Those are the weaker months of the year. So, again, Markets have been on a very strong run here over the last uh, three, four weeks. And, you know, got to go back here a little bit and talk about, you know, history a bit. And you'll remember that back in really kind of this, uh, you know, kind of late April, early May, markets were under a lot of pressure. We were talking about how everybody was bearish, right? There were so many people that were bearish. You know, the end of the world was coming and, you know, we were in a massive bear market. and This is just going to be terrible. And I said then that, you know, when everybody is that bearish, everybody's on one side of the boat, that tends to be a contrarian signal for markets. And generally, you're going to get a fairly strong reflexive rally. And that's exactly what's been happening here over the last couple of weeks. Now, lots of articles out, so you're trying to, you know, it's a, it's a new bull market. Maybe it is. Maybe the bottom is in, right? We won't know that for a while yet, but there are a lot of technical indicators that suggest that maybe we have actually put the bottom into the markets. And and we'll talk about a few of those things this morning as we talk about this battle royale between the bulls and the bears. It's, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, just a month or so ago, everybody's super bearish. Now we've got this bull-bear debate going on um, and the media getting extremely bullish. You know, one of the things that we had said uh, previously is what we needed, you know, in order to have, you know, this kind of counter trend rally, you know, to, to go well, we needed people like Jim Cramer to get on TV and say the bottom's in. Well, he's done that now, right? He's claimed the bottom's in. This is your window to buy stocks. Maybe he's right. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about the Federal Reserve so many times here, you know, in uh, their hiking rates, obviously, and tightening monetary policy to help quell inflation. And the hope now is because of this rally in the markets that the Fed is now very close to ending their rate hikes because we had a softer print of economic inflation data uh, last week. And so, and, and again, lots of misinterpretations about that data. You know, for instance, even the president coming out said we had zero inflation, right? It's good news, zero inflation. No, we didn't have zero inflation, right? Inflation actually still went up last month, right? There was still higher prices last month, but because we are comparing it to where we were last year in terms of the rate of increase, we, if we were up 0.2% a year ago and we're up 0.2% now, that rate of increase is zero, right? Because we're comparing on a year-over-year rate of change. So just because inflation didn't change from a year ago's print didn't mean that inflation didn't go up last month, right? Prices still rose uh, across the board, but the reason that we didn't have this inflation push, so to speak, and we saw a softer print in inflation, was because energy prices came down enough to offset the increases in food prices. But importantly, the average person spends a lot more on food than they do on gas every month. So when you talk about the impact to the family budget, there was still inflation, right? There was still impacts on households because food costs went up, energy prices went down enough to offset that, 
But again, doesn't mean that's on a dollar for dollar basis, right? So we don't we don't buy the same amounts of goods and services. But that's what kind of went on. So inflation was still there. Now the the thought here is is that the Fed will now back off of, of hiking rates. They're going to hike rates in um, September when they have their next meeting, and of course they're. CONFAB and Jackson Hole comes up at the end of the month. So we're getting a lot of information from the Fed about exactly what they're thinking about in terms of inflation. But the expectations from the market right now, anyway, are that the Fed will stop hiking rates. They're going to hike one more time, they'll be done. Now, that's interesting. And the Fed's even made some comments about this. They said, hey, we're close to the neutral rate, right? That's the where the interest rates are at a level to where they're tracking economic growth. Well, you know, interest rates are at 2.25% right now. Say they raise half a percent in August or September, that's 2.75. So what they're saying is, is that economic growth is going to be about two and three quarters percent. That's not real strong, right? And we've still got to come down. That's nominal rate of growth. So that's got to come down some more. Um, but again, the, the idea here is the Fed is now finished. And this now puts the bulls back in charge. Well, there's, there is one caveat to all of this. And, and again, when we talk about this battle royale between the two camps, the question is, is whether or not the Fed is going to start lowering rates. See, this is the big question, right? Where, where the Federal Reserve really benefits and provides the wealth effect to the stock market is when they're cutting interest rates and they are increasing their balance sheet. Right? right now, there's no indication they're going to do that. The Fed may stop hiking rates at some point. Absolutely don't know where. But they are going to stop hiking rates at some level. But there's no indication here at this point that they're going to come back and start reducing those rates back to zero and doing QE. Right now, they've got a $9 trillion balance sheet they're trying to reduce. They're doing that at $95 billion a month. That's going to start putting some liquidity pressures on the market. So, Again, markets have had a fantastic run here. And again, I, I certainly suggest using this. If you didn't like this sell-off that we had at the beginning of this year, great time to be you know, kind of rebalancing risk in your portfolios. Now, look, the bullish bias is in. We're going to talk some more about that this morning. There is a bullish trend in the markets, and there are certainly some very bullish indicators that are going on right now. The 20 days crossed above the 50. It's very close to crossing above the 100. The, the markets are very close to testing the 200-day moving average. If markets can break above the 200-day moving average, well, that's going to put all-time highs in sight, and that's going to be hard for a lot of people to fathom. It's like, how can we get, we're in a bear market. How can we be getting to all-time highs in markets? You know, markets can do things that uh, they don't make a lot of sense. Right now, stock buybacks are running at a record pace. And remember, we've talked about the importance of stock buybacks previously. Those corporate share repurchases have provided almost 100% of the net buying for stocks over the last couple of years and have, been, and have adjusted for 40% of the entire increase in the stock market since 2011. So buybacks are very important to the overall market movement. Right now, we've got a record level of announced buybacks that are in process. So that's helping also provide this lift as corporations are buying back their shares to reduce the number of shares outstanding. So when they report weaker earnings, they don't look as bad, right? So it helps, it helps keep their stock prices elevated. Uh, markets are overbought on many, many different levels. And again, whether it's the MACD or, or a variety of these other technical indicators that represent kind of overbought, oversold, you know, buyers are all in right now. We've got everybody in the buy camp, very few sellers left at this point. So again, when you try to get, 
you know, try to, you know, push this market higher from here, it's going to get a bit more challenging because you're simply just kind of running out of fuel for the markets and you're going to need a pullback here at some point to kind of reset that. Now, those pullbacks are going to be very important. Um, if we get a pullback to the 100-day moving average or the 20-day moving average, which is now above the 50, uh, those are th there's lots of support points now uh, right below where the market is. So even if the market fails here initially at the 200-day moving average, there's lots of support points here on a pullback that will provide much better opportunities for you to add equity exposure to your portfolio uh, versus where we are right now. Again, market's very overbought. Get a pullback here that works off some of that overbought condition. Much better place to start putting capital to work. So be a little patient here. You're going to get a correction at some point, whether it's the next week or two. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, you are going to get some type of pullback here. Again, very strong rally here over the last couple of weeks. And, and again, just those very overbought levels are going to provide a better opportunity. So just be patient here. Preserve your capital for right now. Kind of pick your spots and uh, you'll be a little bit better off. But also, don't dismiss the downside risk. That certainly has not gone away entirely. We've got a lot to get into this morning here on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So the uh, bull bear royale battle, that's what we've got going on right now. And uh, of course, it's interesting because uh, as we said earlier, you know, uh, just a month or so ago, we're on the show talking about how everybody was bearish. There was nobody that was bullish. And now it seems like very quickly, everybody's back to the bullish camp, right? And look, being bullish is a lot more fun than being bearish. No doubt about it. It's also a lot easier, right? Uh, markets are going up. Just be invested. That's, that's a lot easier job than trying to navigate a bear market. So me, for one, I'm all for bull markets. It makes life so much easier to navigate, you know, allocating portfolios um, and managing risks. So, you know, it is. But, you know, the question really is, is is the bull market back or are we in the middle of a kind of a just a reflexive rally within a longer term bear market? And there's certainly arguments to be made on both sides. And this is what we did in our this uh, past weekend's newsletter. If you go to the website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com and click on the bull bear report. Uh, we went through uh, the bull and the bear argument, right? So we kind of laid out the bullish case. And look, there's a very good set of bullish arguments. Um, but, you know, from a bullish standpoint, the markets have now retraced 50% of their um, uh, of their decline, right? So if you look at the top of the market in January and the bottom of the market, we've recovered 50% of that. Now, that's called a Fibonacci retracement. Don't worry about that part. Here's the important part about it. There has never been a point, you have to go back to the 1930s 
to find a point to where the market rallied, recovered 50% of their retracement, and then went lower. Every other time since like the 30s, every time you've had a Fibonacci retracement of 50% from peak to trough, you've gone on back into a bull market, right? And and that doesn't mean just went straight up, right? I mean, you had, you know, bounces on the way back up. But typically, when you um, you get there, and, and you've done this, that's typically been a fairly bullish sign for the markets. Also, too, you've got, you know, the 20-day crossing above the 50-day. You've got the weekly um, buy signals uh, now starting to come on the shorter-term weekly buy signals back into, into play. And typically, once you get the weeklies, you know, kind of the short-term weeklies, then, of course, you also get the longer-term weeklies to follow. That's also kind of confirming that you're back in a bull market. There's some monthly signals also suggesting that, well, we've never actually been in a bear market. And this is hard for people to imagine. After everything that you heard on television about how, you know, it's a bear market and it's a, the world's coming to an end, it's all over with, we never broke the three-year moving average. Bounced right off of it last month and, and this month and have rallied sharply off of that. And uh, again, there's several signals we cover in the newsletter um, which is on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com that, you know, support this idea of this continuation of a bull market, right? We've never actually been in a bear market. We were in a correction, and now that correction is over. Now, that's hard when you think about everything else that's going on, right? You know, you've got weak economic growth. You've got inflation. You've got all this other stuff that's going on. And, you know, you're just trying to figure out, it's, it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. How, how can markets be, you know, running up when all this other bad stuff is going on in the economy? And there's certainly, you know, an argument to be made for that. And, you know, you never want to say that this time is different because that's, you know, those are the four most dangerous words in the, in the market. But this time is different. Every time is different, right? It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, inflation or whatever it is, you know, every market, every environment is different. The economy is different than it was last time. Inflation is different than it was last time. But there is, you know, the issues that are weighing on the economy, right? We've got inflation at the highest level in 40 years. The Federal Reserve is set, says that they're committed to fighting inflation, which would suggest they're not, not close to, 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 you know, stopping the rate hikes. They're certainly not close to starting to ramp up their balance sheet. There is no financial instability, so there's nothing to force the Fed back into the market. Earnings are, are going to have to come down because economic growth is slowing. Whether or not we get into a recession is a debatable issue, but there's a lot of indicators that certainly suggest a recession is coming in 23. Stocks don't tend to perform well during recessions. But back on the bullish side, stocks tend to lead economic data. And if, and if the market rally here is a turn from bearish back to bullish, our market's already kind of sniffing out that the worst has been priced in, in terms of earnings declines and profit margins and those type of things. I don't know. I, I would suspect that with inflation remaining high. And look, inflation is going to come down. We've talked about that before, that we've already seen peak inflation. We've, we've priced that in. 
And that's a lot of what the market's doing right now. It's pricing in that peak inflation. But as inflation begins to decline, it's going to decline, but it'll decline slowly. So even by the, the end of this year, we're still going to be dealing with six, you know, percentage or better inflation. That's not cheap, right? It's down, but that is still going to be weighing on profit margins of corporations. Earnings have already come down a lot, but it seems to me there's going to have to come down more to get there. So again, it's, it's this real difficult area to be setting in with, you know, your kind of your investment allocation. You know, do you follow the market right now? A lot of people are jumping right back into the, and not, not surprising, right? Psychologically, we do this. We have hindsight bias. So, you know, we, we tend to look at what happened previously, and then we go jump into those very same stocks. And we're seeing that, right? A lot of people jumping right into the meme stocks and a lot of the high-risk stocks, stocks that have been beaten down 60 70 80%, whatever, buying those stocks again, even though fundamentals don't support them. You know, they're jumping into those. So now the question is, is, is that where we want to be? And, and, and this is, like I said, this is the challenge, right? So we've got to kind of navigate this, you know, one side of the argument, which is bullish, but then we've got very good bearish arguments. And those bearish arguments certainly have hold water to a, to a large degree that, you know, there could be another downside leg to this market, you know, ahead of us. But again, prediction, and this is, you know, I talked about this with Adam over the weekend, which our, our latest, um, you know, market weekly wrap is on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, right there on the homepage. Um, but I was visiting with Adam Taggart on Friday talking about this very same thing, is that, you know, there is this, this pull to both sides of the markets. And, you know, the problem is, is that if you take a bet on one side or the other, it's like, I don't believe this bull market rally, I'm going to short the market. You may be right. You could also be very wrong. Consequently, if you say that the bull market's back, right, I'm going to listen to the media, bull market's back, I'm going all in, you could be wrong. And that's the problem. It's about an equal coin toss right now between the two arguments. Short-term, market is definitely bullish. If you're trading this market, you need to be long the market. Because right now, very short-term, over the next few days, few weeks, this market has a definite bullish bias to it. Once you get past that point, it gets a lot trickier. And again, we've, all, we've, we've talked about before that predicting the financial markets is one of the most difficult things to do because... Again, there's so many things that happen and so many things that change. Economic data changes. It gets weaker. It gets stronger. Reports are all over the place. Things happen. Just like over, uh, overnight, China cut their interest rates over weaker ec economic data. Nobody was expecting that to kind of come. So it got this surprise rate cut from China. So that's, um, you know, Again, weighing on energy stocks this morning because, again, if China's got weaker economic growth, that means less energy consumption, more surplus in oil, so a la weaker energy prices. So everything has these dueling effects. If you're long commodities, well, that's not good for you. If you're long, you know, other areas, it can be good for you. But these, these are the battles, right? And this is why it's so difficult 
to try to navigate markets. And look, I, I don't blame people that are just, you know, buying ETFs and just going, you know, I'm just, I can't do it. I'm just going to buy an ETF and let the market just do its thing. And hopefully it'll just wind up higher at some point. And that's a pretty good bet. Long term, if you have enough time, it's a pretty good bet. If you just buy some ETFs, you know, hold them and you're good. You just need enough time frame to let that happen. Now, again, you'll, you'll get average performance. And again, you're going to go up and down with the markets and, you know, things will work out as they work out. And when you're talking about valuation still, even after this decline this year, we still have 30 times earnings. And as earnings come down more, those valuations are going to go up. So you're still running at historically very, very high levels of valuations, which, you know, typically suggests you're going to have lower forward rates of return. And if the Fed isn't coming back to do QE anytime soon, even if the market rallies, if the Fed doesn't do QE, if they don't cut rates back to zero, forward returns are going to be lower. Because, again, as we talked about on Friday, and again, uh, we have a, a really important article on our website from Friday talking about returns going forward and how over the last 12 years, the interventions by the Federal Reserve and the government have lifted returns for markets by four percentage points above the long-term average. Long-term average is 8%. Over the last 12 years, we've done 12% on average, and that's historically abnormal because that's much faster than the rate of growth of the economy. And that can't that's not sustainable. So without those artificial influences, if the Fed is done hiking rates, okay, great, but they're not cutting and they're not doing QE. That liquidity drain is still going to impact markets. The markets still may be bullish, but you're going to have lower rates of growth going forward. See, lots of things. It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing. I wish I had the answers. I wish I could just tell you what it is. I just, you know, we're trying to figure all this out together. That's why we publish so much stuff on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. You need to check it out. Latest articles, newsletter, video, everything we just talked about. It's all at the website right there on the homepage, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Unintended consequences. Funny things happen when government tries to do stuff to help people. And, you know, just recently the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. So $700 billion boondoggle that'll supposedly is going to solve our, our you know, climate change problem by getting more people to, you know, buy electric vehicles and install solar panels and all those type of things. And 
you know, the, the bill is chock full of, you know, payouts and giveaways and all kinds of stuff. And that was all that, what they had to do, of course, to, you know, get this passed. You know, one part of it is the 87,000 IRS agents that would like you to come to work for them. And if you've got an interest, the IRS is hiring. And one of the, you know, kind of the benefits, you get to carry a gun and knock down doors. So, you know, this is, you know, it's funny. We fought an entire war to get away from tax collectors. And here we go again. Uh, but, you know, in, inside of this, this bill are a lot of tax credits to individuals to buy, you know, electric vehicles and to buy solar panels and, you know, do these things. And, of course, now this is spread out over 10 years, so none of this is coming anytime soon. And as is always the case with these government bills, you know, the promises often fall well short. And again, just as soon as, you know, power changes in Washington, this is likely to a lot of this will likely be repealed also. So, you know, um, the IRS will get defunded and the a lot of these tax credits will get reversed or, you know, whatever. Right. So it just depends on who's in power. And, and these these bills are great. And, you know, but the odds of, of it actually reaching maturity are a very different story. But nonetheless, Unintended consequences are always the, you know, the sideline of this. And again, this is the one thing that, that government never thinks about. For instance, when we were sending out checks to households, right? This sounded like a great idea. Let's send people money so that with, since the economy shut down, they've got money to spend. Well, that's great. But there's nobody producing anything. And so everybody's going to run out and buy stuff to fix up their house or whatever because they can't go anywhere. And voila, you get inflation, which is now crushing individuals. So you didn't really help them much. You know, one of the things that people were upset about was that we didn't, you know, in the, in the latest bill, particularly this, this uh, latest spending bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, there, people were upset. People like Bernie Sanders and others are very upset because they stripped out student loan forgiveness and child care and paid leave and all those type of things that the administration had promised the average voter. They didn't get anything. This, this bill's got nothing for the average person in it. Except probably being audited a lot more. <laughs> That's about all you're going to get out of it. But, you know, the important thing is, is that, you know, for instance, you take something like child tax credits, right? So, or, or paid, you know, paid medical leave or any type of thing, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, give you more money for childcare. Well, that's great. So, I give you more money. I give you an extra two thousand dollars a month for childcare. And as we've talked about before, immediately all the childcare providers raise their prices because, hey, you've got more money to spend, so you're gonna spend it on me for childcare. So, I'm gonna charge you more. It's basic economics. You know, that doesn't change. And, but this is the thing that always eludes our, you know, the people and, you know, that are passing these bills. They don't say, well, you know, if we do this, all we're going to get out of this is X, right? Prices are going to go up. They don't look at it that way. They're just like, oh, we just got to do this. We got to give people money so we can get their vote. What happens to them after that? Their problem, not mine. But it just makes things worse. And I thought it was interesting because over the weekend, the CEO of Ford was having a presentation talking about their electric vehicles and things like that kind of gave the middle finger to Elon Musk in the middle of the or towards the end of the 
presentation because again, you know, this is uh, you know everybody's kind of watched Elon Musk and his bravado now, so everybody's going to play that kind of same game on the EV side. And importantly, with electric vehicles, you know, only rich people can afford them anyway. These are you know these cars are 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 thousand plus, right? So it's you know your average American isn't buying an EV. It's people with means. But one thing that the CEO of Ford said that was very interesting was, is that, you know, this Inflation Reduction Act provided or extended the $7,500 tax credit if you buy an EV. Awesome. So if you go out and buy an EV, you get a $7,500 tax credit. I told you that I had priced out solar panels before on my house and I had run all the math back then. And, you know, they came up and said, oh, well, if you install solar panels in your house before I moved. If you install solar panels on your house, then you're going to save all this money on, on electricity, plus you get these tax rates. So I ran the math. I mean, it's, it's not hard to do. <laughs> you run the math, it was going to take me like 32 years, something like that, to break even on the savings. And that's assuming that I get a steady flow of, you know, electricity coming from solar during that entire frame. So, you know, no cloudy days, no freezes, <laughs> no, nothing like that, right? So anything like that that happens along the way, that extends that payback time. But anyway, that's, that's, that's that story. So this, in, this Inflation Reduction Act added or extended, I should say, the $7,500 tax credit for EVs. And I thought this was great. Great. This is awesome, right? Now people can go out and they buy EVs and they get a $7,500 tax credit. So instead of it being $70,000, it's only $63,000, right? So... Still, still not affordable for a lot of people, but hey, you still get seventy five hundred dollars. Well, what did the what did the, so again? So if I know, right? So if if Brent is making EVs and he knows that I'm getting a seventy five hundred dollar tax break, what do you think he's going to do with the price of EVs? As he sardonically smirks and rubs his hands together, what do you think Ford just did? Ford just announced that they're hiking the prices on their Ford EVs by $8,500. $8,500. Not $75. $85. So, great. Before, before the Inflation Reduction Act, you could buy a Ford electric vehicle for $8,500 less than you can buy it now. And yeah, you weren't going to get the $7,500 tax credit, but hey, you were still going to be able to buy the car for $7,500 less. It's now going to cost you $1,000 more even with the tax credit. Unintended consequences. You know, it's just, and this is the whole problem with, you know, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is that, you know, what government does, it sounds great on the surface. And and look, this is all very timely. All this stuff that's going, if you haven't noticed the ramp up in just stuff over the last couple of weeks in particular from, you know, uh, economic data suddenly turning a lot more positive. Of course, it's published by government agencies to you know, passages of bills to, you know, a whole variety of other things. It's it's election season, right? Midterm elections right around the corner. 
And we've seen this before. And, and again, when I talk about, you know, economic news being, you know, better than expected, that's we saw this before, right? When uh, Obama was running for office, we saw economic data tick up just prior to the elections. And after the elections, it all got revised back downward again. So this wouldn't be the first time, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it just, oh, you know, our mistake. We just kind of overstated that number. Our mathematical adjustments were slightly off. That's not conspiracy theory or anything like that. It's just the, the way things work, right? It's just, it, it is what it is. Just, and, and you just have to know that that's what goes on. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. We just, but again, this is why you also need to take stuff with a little bit of grain of salt and say, okay, I realize that employment data is exceptionally strong right now. But there's a massive gap between the reported employment numbers currently that are coming out and the household survey, which is fairly unprecedented. In other words, what the government is reporting is vastly superior to what the household survey is saying is going on employment-wise. And again, if you kind of just pay attention to headlines, we're seeing a lot of companies laying off workers. Amazon, others, right? We're seeing a lot of layoffs that are going on. Layoffs are taking up, jobless claims are taking up, but employment still cranking out quite strong numbers, even though the household data that's underneath it. Now, again, this is what's important. The household survey is the survey. That's the phone calls to houses where they call up Brent and say, Brent, you working? Brent says, yeah, I'm working. He's like, well, you're working a full-time job? No, I'm working three part-time jobs. Okay. He's, you know, he's employed, but he's working three part-time jobs. So multiple job holders have been a big chunk of this employment report as of late. But the household survey, the actual phone calls to the houses that they take. So on, on the, you know, they, they, on the first Tuesday of every month, they call 60,000 houses and they call the same 60,000 houses for like three or four quarters. And then they rotate to new houses. So they keep kind of surveying the same house for a couple of quarters to see if what the changes are. And then from that survey, they then extract and then they begin to apply their mathematical adjustments, the birth death adjustment, the you know seasonal adjustments to the data, et cetera. So they take that raw household survey data and then they begin to adjust it with all their mathematical adjustments to get the employment number. And that's what you see. There should be a correlation between the actual official number and that household survey. But currently there's not. Telling two very different stories. I'm pretty confident that after the election, we'll see those numbers come back together pretty quick. We'll just see which one gets revised up or down. All right, be right back after the break. Wrap up the show. Don't go away. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Getting ready to kind of wrap things up. Futures are pointing lower this morning, just a bit. Ten-year uh, yield at 2.82% this morning. Uh, futures are down about 22 points on the S&P, about 170 points or so on the Dow. Again, not not terrible. Again, we had talked about in this weekend's newsletter on the website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the bull bear report or just click on the newsletter link at the top. You'll get it. Um, it'd be likely, and it wouldn't be surprising if we saw a little bit of profit taking this week. It's been a very strong rally here. So again, a pullback to the 100-day moving average would be kind of your first, you know, kind of area to start looking at. Uh, maybe adding some exposure. The 20-day just below that, and then the 50-day. So as long as those support levels hold, um, those will be good areas to kind of look to, you know, picking up some stocks that have had, you know, have formed bottoms. Um, and are looking much stronger uh, momentum-wise. And, and if you're looking to add some things to your portfolio, you'll have some opportunities to do that. So again, just, you know, that's kind of the technical short time frame that we've got going on right now. But as I, as I said earlier in the show, there's, there's certainly, you know, caveats, you know, why, you know, we're not done with the bear market yet either. And there's certainly plenty of arguments for that. But, but again, those are longer-term arguments that may or may not come to fruition. And so those are the challenging things. And that's what makes it hard to navigate markets. You know, the rally over the last month has been, you know, phenomenally good and not unexpected. But the question is now is, is really is the, is the bear market bottom in? Have we seen the lows for for this you know pullback, or is this rally just a a kind of a stop along the way um, to potentially lower levels? And, and there's certainly very good arguments for both sides, and and I can argue both cases with you you know very quick you know very you know eloquently right. I can make I can make a very bearish case for you. Also make a very bullish one too. This is the problem. Both sides have very valid arguments, and only time will tell which one's right. So, again, you know, when we take a look at valuations, you know, for me, one of the biggest challenges going forward is, is valuations. You know, whether you look at the Buffett indicator, which is market cap to GDP, or you take a look at just valuations in terms of, of earnings uh, versus price, either on a forward or trailing basis. Uh, yes, those have corrected somewhat. We have cheaper valuations than we had at the peak of the markets, but they are by nowhere cheap, historically speaking. So it still seems that, as that we still have some work to do. If this is a bear market, if we are going through a valuation reversion, and there's certainly some decent arguments for that because earnings need to come down some more, Earnings estimates are way too high with eight and a half percent inflation. Just you, you can't keep 
earnings at that level, when you're running 8.5% inflation and you can't pass all that inflation on to consumers, your margins are going to compress. Earnings are going to come down as consumers spend less. So earnings estimates are just too high. Now, they've come down. The question is if they've come down enough. And a lot of that will actually depend on whether or not the U.S. slips into a recession or not. That's, that's the big story. Look, the first two quarters, negative growth, not a recession. Recessions, if, if we're, if, if we're going to have a recession, likely in 23. First, second quarter, 2023. We'll see. Uh, again, the problem with economic data is that we've got to wait for all the re revisions to come in. Right? And so, for instance, the second quarter GDP likely to be revised up. Then we have one quarter of negative growth. And then, of course, then you get some some months, some quarters that we think are positive. Those get revised negatively. And then we look back and go, oh, yeah, there was the recession. It wasn't the first two quarters of 2022. It was in the fourth quarter and first quarter of 23. But that's the problem is that we don't know until all of that data gets revised. And that's going to take a while. And that's why all this is so difficult and challenging. You know, one of the, you know, kind of the things that we want to continue to pay attention to, again, is just really is earnings. You know, and again, we just went through the majority of the quarter two earnings. Still got a few companies out there that need to report, but we've gotten through about 80% of the companies. And earnings were okay because they weren't as bad as expected. And that's really the big story. We can't have a running bull market on earnings being not as bad as expected. So next quarter, earnings have got to be better. Earnings have to be better than expected. And that's, that's possible because as earnings estimates are, are being dropped... Now this gives the ability for companies to actually beat those earnings estimates, right? And that's why I always make these jokes about we're going to play the, you know, the beat the estimate game every quarter because Wall Street, you know, we call it millennial soccer because everybody gets a trophy. We keep lowering the standards by which companies have to meet in order to beat their estimates. And so we keep lowering earnings and the companies get over the hurdle by a penny and we go, ooh, they beat estimates, right? Well, you keep lowering the number enough, everybody's going to get over them. And that's why we keep having 80% beat rates. If, if, if Wall Street estimates and analysts were held, you get one shot. Brent's a, Brent's a Wall Street analyst, right? At the first day of the first quarter, Brent says, I think Apple's going to earn $2.63 for the quarter. Okay, Brent, that's your number? That's my number. Okay, you're stuck with it. Now let's see how good Brent is at the end of the quarter, right? But that's not what happens. Brent says 263, then it's 260, then it's 255, then it's 250, then it's 210, then it's a dollar fifty-five, and then it's a dollar twenty-five, and then Apple reports earnings, it's a dollar twenty-six. And everybody goes, Well, Brent's a genius, he nailed it. <laughs> and that's how we treat these analysts, right? It's a moving target. And and it's really invaluable, it has no value. These earnings estimates have no value at all. When you if you really understand what goes on with earnings estimates, this is about Brent keeping Apple as a client of the Wall Street firm. As an investment banker, client.
because that's where they make their money. People don't care about retail. Wall Street does not care about retail investors. You're cannon fodder for them. They're the ones that are dumping product on you, right? If you don't believe me, go look at the, the SPACs and IPOs that were done in 2020 and 2021, how those have turned out. Ironically, right now, nobody's doing IPOs because nobody wants them, right? But the analyst's job is to make sure the companies stay happy and they keep their business with that firm. So, you know, that's why you never see a sell rating on a stock, right? You never see an analyst go, oh, yeah, we've got a, we've got a strong sell on Apple. It's not good for Apple stock price. And since that's the way corporate executives are compensated, if Brent puts a strong sell on Apple, then Apple moves their business from Morgan Stanley over to Goldman Sachs because that analyst will give them a strong buy rating. And that helps move that stock price up. Now, that's not conspiracy theory, by the way. That's just business. But if you don't understand it and you're actually looking at these earnings estimates going, wow, they're beating estimates, well, you have to pay attention to where they came from. Were those estimates being adjusted up or were they being adjusted down? That's really what you need to know. One thing to keep paying attention to, and again, as we as we talk about all of this, and you know, again, it's the market is very bullish right now, and you need to be paying attention to that because the there's a lot of indicators that are supporting the more bullish narrative of the market, and so from a trading and investing perspective, you're better off to be long the market than short. For the moment, now it doesn't mean that won't change, but right now, the trend is positive. And we've been kind of warning you about this for a couple of months that this would happen. So here we are. And, and but at the same time that this is going on, pay attention to what's going on economically, because that is that is going to show up in earnings. Right. We're seeing a lot of companies laying off people. Cutting back on hiring, freezing hiring. The scope of the layoffs right now isn't real clear. We're seeing them start. We're hearing people like a lot of tech companies talking about laying off people, Snap, other, Snapchat and others. Talking about, you know, companies like Walmart, Target, Amazon, laying off workers, freezing, hiring, those type of things. That's, that's, all, that's all that preliminary stage heading into an economic slowdown. Now, layoffs turn into terminations, right? Because what, what's a layoff, Right. Brent, I'm, I'm going to lay Brent off, say, Brent, we love you. We want to hire you back. We're going to have to lay you off for a little bit. But the goal is to hire Brent back at some point. It generally doesn't happen because Brent goes and gets a job somewhere else. But theoretically, that's what a layoff is. I'm just laying you off for the moment. I'm going to hire you back. That's what a layoff is. Versus, Brent, don't need you. Go away. That's a termination. Layoffs become terminations. Brent, we're going to lay you off for two weeks. We're going to hire you back in a couple of weeks. And things kind of smooth out. Two weeks later, Brent don't need you, right? Layoffs become terminations. But we're seeing these starting to really ramp up. Netflix, TikTok, Snapchat, all, all these companies now laying off workers. Those haven't shown up in the employment reports yet, but those are coming. Particularly if that pace of layoffs continue to tick up, we'll see. But see, those are the things that are going to come back and impact earnings. And there's that risk going into the next quarter earnings that we could see still weak earnings growth 
because of what's happening in the economy. So again, don't dismiss the economic data. It's important because it feeds through to the earnings data, which eventually affects the price of the market. All right, wrapped up the show for today. Get by the website. Our weekly market recap with Adam Taggart on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our newsletter, the Bull Bear Report. That's out talking about this battle royale between bulls and bears. We lay out both cases for you. And then also, of course, our daily market commentary. That's out this morning as well. All at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.